Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild, USSF. I also, geez, uh, a bunch of other things, speed and powerlifting, Highland Games, everything else. So, um, And today joining us, we got Matt Winning. So um, we'll get to him in here in a minute. Matt, thanks. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, we'll talk to Matt after some reader mail and... Uh, question i think so strength and muscle sport news first up a little just a little bit of news uh i got this from john mike actually and i've been looking at some of this stuff recently he knows that i like to you know research coffee of course and um it's called the benefits of coffee on skeletal muscle it's from the journal life science uh by dirks Naylor. let me just read you a little bit of this because i think so often we think about coffee just as a CNS stimulant, you know, drink, have a cup of strong coffee or your pre-workout, then go push the iron. But this says coffee is consumed worldwide, billions of cups a day, of course. Uh, but epidemiological studies usually look at the association, you know, whether or not it reduces or increases disease risk or whether it affects your cardiovascular system. But it says there's been relatively little attention on skeletal muscle. Summary of current literature suggests that coffee has beneficial effects on muscle. It's been shown to induce autophagy, improve insulin sensitivity, stimulate glucose uptake into muscle, slow the progression of sarcopenia, and if you're not familiar, listeners, just muscle wasting, right, uh, with age, and promote regeneration of sore and injured muscle. Much more research is needed to reveal the full scope of benefits that coffee consumption may exert on human skeletal muscle structure and function. Years ago, I started thinking maybe coffee... It sounds sort of holistic, but it might be actually better as a pre-workout than uh, an energy drink or just popping caffeine pills because stimulants actually hamper your muscle's ability to take up carbs, whereas coffee enhances it. So I think that's really interesting stuff that they're focusing on the benefits on muscle tissue regeneration and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, with coffee itself. Of course, there are hundreds of compounds in coffee. It's not liquid caffeine. We've got to get away from that idea. Uh, in fact, just this past week, we, we submitted two abstracts to a, a San Diego conference that have to do with coffee. But, yeah, uh, I've got some fellow researchers saying, Lowry, why do you keep looking at coffee? Why don't you do something more interesting on the stimulant front? But coffee is interesting, actually, and so this paper suggests that, too. Matt, are, are you a coffee drinker? Um, no, not actually. I don't I don't really take a lot of stimulant stuff. Um the type of stuff that I do, I, I guess I've just gotten myself ramped up in heavy training for so long that I don't like to rely on something that I feel like I have to crutch to have a good workout. Yep, yep. Um, so I don't really like take any kind of stimulants or pre-workouts or anything like that because with the, the really big heavy weights you're trying to lift, um, a lot of it's focus and concentration mm-hmm. as much as it is intensity. I think guys are lifting these monstrous weights are getting crazy you know, cranked up to do it. But I learned from an old coach of mine, which I'm sure 
it's that Cohen that, you, you know, if you ever watched him get ready for a meet uh, or, or a big lift, he never really, um, look, he never looked too jacked. He stayed mm-hmm. pretty calm. And uh, I remember him having a talk with my other old training partners, Chuck Vogelpool, and Chuck would get completely in before he would lift. I mean, you literally couldn't talk to him. There was no, he was just in a whole other planet. And I think he missed just as many lifts as he made due to his increased, you know, um, arousal state mm-hmm. to where it was just, you know, insane. I'm not saying coffee does that or even caffeine, but point, I like to stay very mellow, focus on my body technique. I'm not really a big um, stimulant guy, yeah. but um, I, a lot of my guys that, that train with me and clients that I have, they're, they're all big into coffee. But like I said, I, I never got into it as a kid. A young adult, so I just never really, never really, you know, drank it. Right on. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we actually just submitted was we were looking at differences in alertness versus focus, and I think that's sort of what you're talking about, right? Because these are different things. So I, it's so individual, yeah. you know. It's just so individual. Some people absolutely love, you know, they feel like they need that extra alertness and they can stay focused. And yeah, but if you lose focus. Uh, or body sensitivity in some way, yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Like I said, I've, I've, drank, I've drank coffee before I've worked out, and, I, you know, it makes me a little bit more, I don't know, even if you want to say alert or a little bit more ramped up, but I didn't notice that it really helped me all that much, so I never really got into taking it, you know, so or, or drinking it. So yeah. It's like when a Fed was the big craze, everybody was taking it, and then, yeah. hell, I, I did lift it. It was great for fat loss. I mean, that's been proven, but I did lift and heavy on it, and... You were like jacked up and shaky. Yeah, you know, it's like no, I can't. Yeah, I, re- I remember a big meet that a couple they giving me. I wanted a pretty workout drink because I just kind of lethargic. I had traveled to do this meet and they gave me some of that C four or whatever that yeah. stuff is, and mm-hmm. I took it and I was completely retarded for like an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, not really big into that stuff really. Right. Yeah. Okay, uh, quick listener question then before we, we get to your origin story, Matt. Um, this guy says, my yep. name is Ethan, and I found out about Iron Radio a couple of months ago. I've listened to almost the entire series since then. So much great information and in getting that lifting community that I don't have at my current gym. Uh, I had a nutrition question, so I immediately thought to ask. Uh, the question is this. In all the episodes I've listened to, Uh, You talk about guys on gas that sit around and uh, pound protein along with a ton of junk food and then sit around at 6 to 7% body fat. Now, again, Ethan is interested in uh, uh, pro-hormones. He's saying, will a pro-hormone do the same thing for me, or is the highly anabolic state of these guys the cause of a stack with GH and insulin and other things, you know, or is it just the androgens? Uh, I've never done any type of pro-hormone before. How careful do I need to be with my diet? Uh, I know I'm going to need some, he says, quote, Lonnie Lowry-style cheating uh, or eating, ha-ha. But what, yeah. what, would you suggest, right. what would you suggest that you know, an increased calorie intake, I think, look like? Thanks for doing the show. I just graduated with a bachelor's degree in applied science, and I've learned so much listening to you guys. I think he's saying as much as I have in a lot of my classes. Also, I spent uh, I sent in a question about periodization. You guys answered really well, and I really appreciate your input. All right, guys, what do you think? Uh, he sees really big guys that are enhanced, and they're lean, and their diet doesn't look like they should be lean. Um, <laughs> Phil, how about you? What do you, what do you think? Oh, God. Um this one's hard to tackle. Um, I would never tell anybody to break the law, but if, if I 
you were my client, and you know, I was. I mean, the hormones, in my opinion, are a big ass sham. And a lot of times, what it is is they've they've taken something and changed it just enough to be legal. And the problem with that is they've changed it just enough to potentially be dangerous and not know the side effects of it. Um, Very true. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, the the thing about drugs out there right now, and this and that, is at least we we have a background of the products for years, and they've been using them in the community and this and that. And then you get these fly-by-night supplement companies that that hire somebody to change something molecularly, and and they don't know what the fuck it does, either good or bad is the problem I have with it. So yeah, um, yeah, and I so I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, pro hormones are are bullshit. Number one, <laughs> number number two, um, you know, it depends what this guy thinks lean is because mm-hmm. you know the real issue is is like Coleman and I'm sure all these other pro bodybuilder guys and I'm not speaking for them, but their diets are clean as shit. I mean, they eat very very clean. So if you're talking about some dude at Lifetime Fitness that you're idolizing and you see him eating a Big Mac. I mean, it's, it's where dr- drugs, I think, also play a, a major role, obviously, in getting lean and, and being able to hold a lot of muscle mass. There's no question about it. But I think they're also overplayed with just hard work. I mean, most guys that walk, you're not going to see an 18-year-old kid walking in that just started lifting weights, no matter how good his genetics are, that's going to look better than a dude that's buckled down and busted his ass for 25 years. Yeah. You know, and the diet is important whether you're on shit or not. You know, you might find some guys that are an ectomorph. Um, for example, you know, I had an old training partner, uh, George Albert, uh, 12-time world record in the bench, probably one of the leanest people I've ever seen in my life, over 230 pounds, as far as it wasn't a bodybuilder. And the dude could eat like shit every day. Mm-hmm. And that was just his metabolism. I think more so than pro-hormones, or, you know, drugs is genetics. But also, George had a hard time putting on weight. Mm-hmm. A very hard time putting on weight. And my point being is that drugs enhance. We know this. But, and the real, the real issue is, is that you still got, it's not gonna, you can't eat a ton of shit and then be on a ton of drugs and look the way you want to look. Eventually, you're gonna have to change the way you eat. Um, I, I've actually been in that situation now for the past couple of years. I just cannot maintain healthy. 305 to 310 pounds in the off season. So what I do is I clean up my diet, um, increase my good fat intake, back off some of my carbs, post competition, and uh, that that's done more for me than any drugs have ever done as far as leanness and hardness. And that was all through, you know, uh, you guys probably heard of Dr. Serrano. Mm-hmm. He 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 followed the same stuff that like Charles Paul put in those follow, but. Uh, done way more for me than I've ever seen any other stuff like that do. If you're talking performance, like squatting, deadlifting, and, and lifting max, you know, obviously drugs are, are a huge factor in how strong you can be, but I think the big problem is is nobody wants to build a base of strength <laughs> or nutrition anymore. Yeah. They think, well, this guy's on a bunch of shit, or this guy takes pro-hormones and looks good. And in reality, that's not the case. You do I ever stop to think that, that guy might have put in 20 years of hard work? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I take on the whole thing. Right. I just had this conversation with a student, actually. I think he was, he's one of those guys, you know, he's young, he's naive, and he was completely overestimating, I think, what performance enhancing drugs could do. He's like, well, you just take that stuff and you just look like that. I'm like, how many guys that look like absolute shit 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, yep. you know, they're on all kinds of stuff. And if that alone did it, these guys would look great. And they they look like a train wreck. They're just a bloated train wreck. And you know, yeah. Phil, yeah. Phil, back to your point. Yeah, when they tweet, You're exactly like, right. I mean, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I had a guy, I had a kid in here that I told him I would train him as a lifter as long as he stayed. And um, I found out about, you know, six months into training him that he was taking stuff because I could just you know, tell his color was changing and stuff. All he did was put on fat weight yeah. because he thought that if he took a bunch of shit, he was going to get and leaner and bigger, and he still ate like shit, and he never gained really a pound of good weight. He looked, he still looked like shit. He was just 10, yeah. 15 pounds heavier. Yeah. And I think that's what I started to realize, taking a guy that had no drugs, no work ethic, and you try to make him work hard, you have to lift 10 or 15 years really hard for the muscle to change, especially if you don't have great genetics. And the yeah. drugs might polish you 5 to 10%, but if you're polishing 5 to 10% of a turd, it's still a turd. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. How I look at it, but, you know. Yeah, Phil, back to your uh, what I was going to say to your point was, yeah, they change one molecule on a lot of these pro-hormones, and it sounds edgy that you're on one, you know, and, and again, they keep cropping up, you know, they, they're they on the market for a little bit, that gets pulled because the, the compound gets added to the Anabolic Steroids Control Act, then they tweak one molecule, yep. they put it back, and it sounds edgy that they're, ooh, uncharted territory, but that uncharted territory could just mean more side effects than main effects, you yep. know, bloat, yeah, acne, exactly. liver damage, kidney problems. Now, Ethan, to your point, I know you've been lifting for a few years, but um, uh, if there's a performance-enhancing drug that allows guys to have looser diets and really be lean all the time, that's that's GH, right? Don't confuse that with the androgens. Androgens will help you put on some muscle mass, uh, and GH will yeah. stack with those, of course. But, yeah, g- growth hormone is probably the thing that's really changing. You see these guys that are they're up over 250 pounds now with single-digit body fat. Um, and Matt's point is well taken. Yep. I mean, those guys are also eating cleanly, but mm-hmm. holding that much size at you know low single digit percent fat that that is a cocktail of growth factors. It's not just yep. uh, the androgens that you're going to get in sort of a, a low dose or a fly by night kind of way yep. with a pro hormone. Yep. So, yep. yeah, it's definitely definitely the case. So. Okay, um, that's all I've got. Okay. Now we'll go on to Matt. Matt, again, thanks for joining us. Um, basically, we just want to go into your background, how you got started in, in anything to do with fitness, and roll from there on okay. up to where you are. Yeah, so um, my football – okay, so it actually starts before before lifting. Um, I was a kid, When I was a kid going into first grade, I actually – a week before school started, I got hit by a car uh, going, going about 50 miles an hour on my bicycle. So I'm riding my bicycle. I get T-boned by a car. Uh, snapped my leg, my right leg in seven places and my left leg in like four to five places. Uh, break my pelvis. Uh, I'm pretty fucked up. I'm in full-legged cast for a whole year. Well, ever since that point, I was always behind athletically um, all through grade school and even through uh, part of middle school. And um, I was getting frustrated. Uh, seventh grade football, um, legs, my upper body was fairly strong naturally, but my lower body was just still behind. Um, because the, the only thing I went to physically uh, after the accident was swimming because it was, you know, I was born, my leg uh, pain didn't really bother me in the water. So I, I was a pretty competitive swimmer from the ages of uh, seven and a half to about 13 where I just got too big. And I wanted to, I wanted to play football more than anything. So, so 
buddy named Nate in town, and uh, he's like, well, let's throw, let's throw the YMCA, and we'll we'll lift weights over there for football. This is in the off season, uh, sixth grade going into seventh grade. I was like 12 and a half, maybe 13. Uh, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, you know. We just walked into the gym, and I was 200 and, well, let's say seventh grade, I was about 190 pounds. So I was getting close. I was a big kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you, see, you, know, you don't see too many 200-pound seventh graders that aren't tubs of shit. I was just a big-boned kid. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this guy there named Timmy, and uh, he was kind of the alpha dog in the in the, the local YMCA. But what was funny about him was is he was a national champion powerlifter, so he benched 500 pounds raw at 198 pounds. Ooh. And so, so I'm watching five five plate per side bench presses when I'm 13, going, "Holy fuck!" You know, yeah. I thought a plate was strong. You know, I, I didn't know. And uh, so he's like, "You know, you got the right build to be a really strong lifter. You ought to start coming and training with these guys, with me." So he had a little crew of guys, and you know, they were all you know his little cronies, and we started all working out together, and uh, that's how it started. Um, and then it just kind of morphed from there. So it just started kind of at a local YMCA and just getting ready for football. And then I actually found my passion at weights, kind of getting ready for football in, uh, in, uh, in, in middle school. So that's kind of how it started. Nice. I didn't know that, uh, our, our background is very close. I, I was hit that. when I was, <laughs> I, I got hit on my bike when I was seven and broke my pelvic in 16 places, severed the femoral artery and, uh, all that crap. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. And yeah. So fun. everything, what I noticed is that, yeah, everything, you know, I tried to play basketball and baseball and everything that had to do with running, even moderate distances, just fucking killed me. Because uh-huh. I had all this scar tissue in my calves from my bones going a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that I had shin splints and that I was just out of condition. Mm-hmm. But in reality, looking back now, it was tons of scar tissue that I had to break free. Well, squatting, because I was neutral, you know, i.e. I, it wasn't moving mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, stepping forward or putting too much weight on one leg, squatting never really bothered me too much. Mm-hmm. And deadlifting never really bothered me too much because, you know, the bones really don't, you know, especially at the, at the shin angle, they don't move much. Yeah. So I never had the impact and like the tibialis anterior cramps that most people would complain about. Mine were probably a thousand times worse because I had tons of scar tissue in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how it started, and then by the time I was 16, um, so I've been lifting for about three years. Um, I'd already had all the teenage state records. I started lifting in the ADFPA. That was that was pre USA Powerlifting, mm-hmm. and then uh, lifted in USAPL for which is drug tested and all that jazz from uh, 1995 to 2003. Um, and then won two collegiate national titles, had three or four American records with a total record. Um, and uh, that's where I started kind of making a little bit of a name for myself in lifting. Um, I was still in college. So when I went to grad school, I decided to turn pro. I, you know, I had been uh, hanging out with Louie over at Westside for, gosh, you know, two to three years, just going over there when I could. Um, and I noticed by the time I was 24 or 25, um, you know, still being drug free that I was able to hang with some of those guys on some of that stuff. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to put some of this heavier duty gear on because then that's when the, the WPO at the Arnold classic was like the big shit meet to go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like, we had 25,000 people watching us lift. And I always wanted to be on that stage because, you know, we go to these US APL nationals. You're looking to have a hundred people in the right, crowd. Yeah. No music. 
It's like listening to fucking church, boring as shit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I went to these meets. It was like a fucking rock show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're watching guys hit 25, 26, 2700 pound poles. You know, Andy Bolton and Gary Frank and all these guys are just going head to head every year. And it was just like, man, what I wouldn't give to be as strong as those dudes. So I kind of set my path on there and I was ended up being one of the youngest guys at, at the time to squat over 900. I squatted 900 when I was 25. And, um, I did that at a, at a UPA, uh, qualifier for the, for the WPO, um, and missed, uh, missed qualifying for the WPO probably by about 20 pounds, I believe, in 2005. Well, after I graduated with my master's in biomechanics, I moved over to Columbus full-time to train with Chuck, Chuck and them guys at, at Westside, and uh, by 2006, my total went from 2,200 to 23-something, and then by 2007, I was close to 2,500. So um, that's when I originally put my name on the uh, – the infamous West Side board under the bench. I benched uh, 785 in a full meet, um, which at that time was uh, the heaviest bench ever done at the 308 weight class at West Side. I think it was the top top three bench in the world uh, as a powerlifter. There were some guys that were just bench only that could do more, but at that time there wasn't a ton of guys benching 800. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed was is I started kind of um, having to change my technique on how to bench. And I was getting bigger and stronger, so I went and talked to a guy named uh, Bill Crawford up in New York, and he's like, man, you're doing all this shit all fucking wrong, like, change this, change that, change that. Well, he was right, because at the time, this this kind of goes back a little bit farther, back to like 06, my bench was like 672, which was a really good bench, but um, I needed to have it closer to 800 to really get to the WPO. So I went up and worked with him in about four months of kind of collaborating back and forth and him showing me stuff. I was I was at 800. In the, in the exact same venture. So it wasn't like I changed my equipment. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just learned how to do things better. And um, that's kind of when I started to become world-class at the multiply stuff. And uh, so in 2008, break the world record total at 2665 with a 1085 squat, 815 bench, and a seven, like a 766 or something deadlift. And then... Um, 2009, I squatted 1,100 and pulled 800 in the same meet, which was only one of few guys could do. Wow. And then uh, sometime in that year, I benched 840, which was like a top five bench of all time in the 308s. And then the next year, I broke the world record in the squat at, at right at 1,200, uh, 1,197.6. Um, and that's, that's kind of when I started to uh, – Started, started to look around, and, and that's when Raw, this was about 2011-12, that's when the Raw stuff really started to take flight, and I think a lot of that was from CrossFit, because mm-hmm. people were looking at people at CrossFit and going, man, these guys are really strong, and they don't have any knee wraps on, they don't have any suits, and I'm thinking to myself, like, unlike a lot of the West Side guys at the time, I was training a lot in the off-season Raw. Mm-hmm. I mean, 60% of my training was completely wrist wraps and a belt, and, uh, I'm like, I can fucking take this shit off and do those numbers. Uh-huh. So in 2013, I opened up my first raw meet uh, just to just to see what I could do. You know, I think a lot of guys that are in equipment, they have big egos, and they don't want to show people how strong they are for real. And, and honestly, a lot of those guys take that shit off. They're not that strong. Mm-hmm. But because I, I trained raw a lot of the year, um, it wasn't a huge transition for me. It only took me about six months to get used to not having any support. 
and uh, go to my first meet and squat um, seven, like seven eighty-eight, and then bench uh, five eighty-four, and then pulled like seven fifty. Mm. I totaled like twenty-one oh five my very first meet with no knee wraps or anything, oh. which was the third highest total of all time at three oh eight in my first raw meet. The second raw meet I go to, um, I squatted the world record. So the world record was 826, headed by a guy named Scott Weech, which was a an excellent squatter. He's the same weight class that I was, but he's about five foot seven, and I'm six foot one. So I got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I squat 832, which puts me above uh, Kirk Kowalski's number at Raw, which I was like ecstatic because mm-hmm. he was one of my idols as a kid. And I'm thinking, man, I'm six foot one. This dude's like five foot six, and I just kicked his <laughs> ass, you know. So I was pretty happy about that. And that's kind of when I noticed that. Um, that it, you know, raw was just more for me. So then that same meet, I bit 606. So I had probably one of the highest subtotals ever done by any human at that time with an 832 squat and just a belt and then a 606 raw bench, mm-hmm. um, which I was pretty happy with because that not only put me on the 600 all-time bench list, which only 50 or so men have ever done in, in history, mm-hmm. but I did it at under 300 pounds and did it in a full meet after squatting a world record. So that was that was a pretty big accomplishment for me. And then this last year, I squatted 850 in just a belt, and uh, my bench went down a little bit. I tried 611 and just barely missed it, and then uh, my pull came back up a little bit and hit close to 2,200 total, which I think I now I have the third highest total of all time ever done in the 308s. And if I have a meet that I want to do this, uh, this winter, I should be able to be the, the second highest total of all time by a pretty good amount, not far behind the first highest total of all time. So there's only been a few guys that's totaled over 2275, 2300 raw. Um, and so hopefully I can be one of those guys here and, you know, here in the next few months. So that's kind of, that's kind of my whole story of lifting, I would say, um, as far as where I am now and, where I, where I came from. But a lot of the reason that getting out of gear for me was, is when I went and worked with the military guys and my normal clients, you know, they don't give a shit how much I can do in a suit. Mm-hmm. They don't care mm-hmm. about on this super tight bench shirt that looks like a straight jacket and bench 800. You know, I'm not teaching anybody how to do that. I'm teaching them how to do raw stuff. So for me, like, you know, like I said, everybody has their own opinion on that stuff and, and whatnot. And I, I think that watch your lifting is cool. I, I don't have any, ill will towards it but in my in my the raw shit you either got it or you don't yeah. and i think people um are really in the same boat as everybody else but um for me like when i look at my clients and tell them i can bench 600 i can bench 600 yeah you know i can i can take most people's maxes and do it for 20 and that's what makes you a good trainer i think yeah you know i mean not always you can you don't always be the strongest fucking guy but strongest guy and you try to be the smallest as far as you read and you experiment and you do the, you do the, you got to tell the competitive advantage over most people. Yeah. Because if, if you know how to strain, you can make other people strain and learn how to get to them. Because you've had to get to yourself. You've had to work through your own adversities and your own, um, you know, your own, uh, your own limitations and push past those. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can't push past your own limitations, whether it be diet, you know, like we talked about earlier, or how much weight you can put on your back or in your hands or, you know, or, you know, those types of things. And I think you're just, you know, you shouldn't be telling other people how to do that shit either. I don't know. Because to me, it's, it's just one of those, it's a rite of passage. You know, I know what I know because I've done what I've done. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think I could read some of the stuff that I've learned by doing, but I wouldn't know how to apply it. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, so I totally I agree. That's a, yeah, that's what gives me a concrete advantage working with the military is these guys look at me and they're like, holy fuck, this guy is crazy strong. You know, so they <laughs> automatically listen because it's hard to get these guys to listen, you know? Yeah. And they're, people think, well, you know, you don't have to be the strongest guy. Well, you got to remember, these dudes barely graduated high school, you know, and they only know, like, the alpha way of doing things. And that's, if you're better than me, I'm going to listen to you. And if you're not, get the fuck out of my way. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of those, especially Special Forces guys, yeah. they're tired of hearing PhDs and doctors come in that don't look like they ever lift weights and try to tell them how to train. They just don't listen. They don't care. But if you can come in and tell them they're all pussies, and then outlift them by two times or three times what they can do, they tend to sit down and listen. And mm-hmm. like I said, it, it's just given me an advantage. I don't think it's made me the man or whatever, but it's really helped my credibility, my street credit in the in the Army and working with Border Patrol and all the athletes that I have is because if I'm asking you to do something, that's because I've done it at a high level, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, And if I see you stick somewhere, sometimes I can keep you from making that a sticking point because I know what the weaknesses are even before you do you know so I, I don't know that that's kind of where all that stuff comes from but like I said the raw lifting to me just has more validity to multiple fields yeah well we're almost touching on it so let's go ahead and go to a short break and then we'll, we'll come back into the military stuff all right sounds <clears throat> yeah sounds good Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry and what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, 
and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Every week it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in, $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, we're back. And, you know, we just kind of heard Matt's story about, you know, where he comes from, how he got where he is. And now we want to get more into the stuff he's doing with the military because that's what a lot of you guys wanted to hear about. So, um, geez, I mean, to head this off, I mean, I've dealt with some of it too. And you see, basically, the military is still very much a uh, lots of push ups, lots of running, lots of calisthenics, lots of this and that. And, um, yeah. You know, my problem with it has been, you know, we're we're no longer in the Civil War where you need to march 700 miles to go attack the people you're going after. So um, let, let's touch yeah. on what you've been doing with them and, and talk about how that got started and, and, you know, your ideas with, with military training. Yeah. So how it got started was is basically I got listed in a magazine for being one of the top lifters in the world, but I also, they also listed I had a master's degree in biomechanics. And uh, that caught the eye of uh, a captain in the Rangers, and uh, he had emailed me, found my email somehow, and uh, emailed me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming down and showing um, showing the guys at 3rd Battalion Rangers, which is one of the most elite units in the Army, um, what, you know, if there's anything that they could change or anything I could show them that might help them improve. And uh, I'm like, you know, Fuck, I don't really know. I mean, at this time, no shit, I'm a headlifter. In 2006, I learned what I learned because I wanted to get strong. I didn't give a fuck about when people, I didn't care. I, I mean, I was focused on making that WPO. That was my goal. The only reason I finished master's school was because I wanted something to have that was concrete and when I needed to get a job. You know, and I knew that a basic exercise degree was not going to get me uh, near the money or the, the validity that I was going to need to kind of live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. So 
I busted my ass in undergrad and, and then got a GA spot in grad school where I didn't have to pay for school and uh, finished it. So, um, it go, so basically they, they had me come down and they had me look at their guys and, and I'm taking a look at them and these guys are, they, they're conditioned animals, but they are weak as shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, at this time, this, this girl that I'm dating at the time, uh, was 130 pounds. And, uh, I get this guy walk up to me and he's in normal clothes. He doesn't have any basic, you know, any, fatigues on or medals or anything or you know stamps and and uh he's like well, what do you think of the guys and i'm like honestly and he's like yeah and i go i think they're weak as fuck and he goes <laughs> weak as fuck i said yeah they're weak as fuck and i go i got i got fucking you know retired people that are stronger than them in weights and he goes well you know they're they're weak compared to lifters i said they're weak compared to my girlfriend <laughs> and they and he's like He's like, what? And I said, you see that weight over there? It was like 365, right, on the bar, on the ground. He's like, yeah. I said, I haven't seen one guy deadlift that yet today. And he goes, well, that's a lot of weight. I said, it is? I said, okay. I said, hey, the girl I was dating at the time, why don't you go over there and lift that for me? She grabs it and picks it up cold and sets it down. His face is beat red. So not only now, see, if I went by myself, I wouldn't have had the validity. I went down there as a 300-pound man telling telling 160-pound guys that they're weak. But... Just by default, I have brought my girlfriend who was 130 pounds, and she outlifted every one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's real. Yeah. Because now this guy, at the time I didn't know who he was, this guy realizes that I'm not bullshitting him. Yeah. That, that, that his guys are weak, and whoever's been telling them that they're strong is full of shit. Because, I mean, obviously I'm going to be able to go out there and outlift them, uh, but he wasn't prepared to see a 130-pound girl that wasn't even elite at the time be able to come in and walk in and devastate some of the top soldiers in the army, mm-hmm. regardless of what it was, you know, could have been fucking jump rope, but it, this time it was lifting. And so he, he walks out, he kind of storms out, fits off about 15 minutes later, this guy's huffing and puffing to run to me and he's in full fatigue. And he's like, general Anderson wants to see you. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? And he goes, the guy that was just in here. And I was like, Oh, fuck. So basically <laughs> I'm just in here shooting shit with some dude. I don't even know who it is. And I've just told him all these guys are weak. His program sucks. And whatever they're doing needs to fucking get thrown in the trash. So I'm like, well, I've only been here about five hours. I'm already fired. Whatever, you know. <laughs> so I don't want to really fucking be in hot-ass Georgia anyway, right? Because it's Fort Benning in the middle of summer. I don't know if you've ever been around Atlanta in, like, June. But it's not the fucking funnest place in the world. <laughs> as far as if you're a big, big, you know, big, white, fucking heavy white guy, you know. So I, um, I go over... And sit in his office, and it seems like an hour, but it's probably only maybe like, you know, five minutes. And he's sitting down doing paperwork, trying not to ignore me, but kind of ignoring me. And, and he looks up finally, and he goes, you know what? I've had all these professors and all these doctors and all these trainers come in and tell me that my guys are elite and my guys are strong and my guys are capable. And you just came in and showed me that, that was a complete fucking lie. And I was like, dude, I'm not here to burst your bubble anybody's right or wrong, I don't see what I see and give you my opinion. You know, I'm not trying to be an asshole about this. And he's like, you know, but I like I like that. He's like, you you got some fucking balls coming in here and, and doing this. I said, dude, I'm not, I don't have balls doing anything. Like, if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you the right answer mm-hmm. or what I think is the right answer. And that automatically gained his respect. And when, once I did that, he signed me on to a advisory contract where I came in every three to four months and I checked to make sure that the guys were doing what they should be doing versus what they thought they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so the average deadlift 
over 750 rangers went from about 230 pounds, no bullshit, to almost 430 pounds. Mm. But this was the ass kicker. So, yeah, the deadlift went up. That's great. Whatever, right? But the injury rates went down 30%. Mm. Because now, when the guys are jumping and sprinting and they got all that gear on, went up to withstand impact. Mm -hmm. Right? So now their injury rate's going down. So now it's sold. So I started befriending a lot of the physical therapists and the guys that were doing all the injury reports. And they were like, holy shit, like this stuff is fucking working. Mm -hmm. And they started to keep it. Well, General Anderson, you know, if you know anything about the Army, you don't stay in one place very long. So those guys started to move. And when they moved, they moved to Fort Carson. Uh, The the captain at the time had moved up to a major. We actually became really good friends. His name is uh, Mark. And Mark asked me to fly out to Colorado and look at the program and see what I could do. He goes, do you think you can do what you did with the Ranger Battalion? Do you think you can do it with with 4th Infantry? Now, keep in mind, I went from controlling about 750 soldiers, which would be a strength coach's nightmare, mm-hmm. to 6,000 men. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm in charge of 6,000 fucking guys that can barely read and write, mm-hmm. that have no science background, and now i got to teach them this advanced stuff of how to get strong and do it in a simplistic enough way that they can learn it and use it. And somehow, by the skin of my teeth, I pulled it off, and we had the same result. The average PT score you know, on a 300 scale went from 215, which is a D-minus average, to a B-plus average in 10 months. But that's when, that's when shit got real. So now they're like, not only does his stuff work for lifting, now we know... It works on a mass scale with the military. So not only did they see the injury rates decrease significantly and the, you know, the, 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 the stress fractures and all these things that are common, uh, they, they started seeing the performance increases as well by, you know, you can take a fourth infantry, light infantry unit and make them go from a 215 PT score to a 270 mm-hmm. in 10 months, 6,000 dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was done. It was done. So I kind of solidified myself as, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, a rogue in that area. So, um, but like I said, with the way the government is right now, you know, I'm not really Republican or Democrat, but, you know, the way with Obama in office and all that stuff, the military spending has cut back so much that, you know, right now it's, it's kind of a hit and miss on contracts. Mm-hmm. So I actually got contacted by Border Patrol, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to go deal with a bunch of TSA agents, you know. I don't know anything about Border Patrol. I live in fucking Ohio. You know what I mean? We we don't have border patrol. I think we got some little border patrol agency like off of Lake Erie, you know, that keeps people from <laughs> illegally crossing from Canada, which I'm sure is not that much of a an issue. But so so you know, I'm I'm a I go down to border patrol and I'm thinking I'm going to deal with a bunch of fat and out of shape guys checking badges at the fucking airport, you know. And I get down there and it's all pretty much like Blackwater ex Special Forces guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with dudes that are watching guys cross the border with cocaine and heroin. These dudes are all in their mid-30s because they're out of the military, but they want a full-time job. So they're doing, like, black ops shit across the border right next to Tucson, you know, where, where you're they're sitting and watching this illegal activity, catching people, you know, and doing this kind of stuff. And it's pretty treacherous because it's, it's fairly mountainous down there. And uh, so these guys are pretty hardcore dudes. And I'm thinking, man, this is a really good spot. Well, they were super into what I was doing, one, because I already had the credibility, but two, they just liked my attitude of coming down there and changing things and saying, listen, I don't care what you think you know. I just want you to take it away and throw it away because 
You're just fucking yourself up with this stupid shit. So I revamped their whole program. I take the, the military through a one-week course. So not a two-day course, not a little classroom thing. They have to pretty much go through an entire 40-hour class and hands-on protocol. It's called Mountain Athlete Wear. And basically what I do is I teach them programming. I teach them how to tag weaknesses. I teach them how to address the weaknesses. And then I teach them how to use the different methods, i.e., max effort, dynamic effort, and, and repetition effort methods in order to solicit a great result in training. And then I also show them, even most importantly, how to rotate their cardiovascular training. So I make them do an anaerobic conditioning, and then, you know, 36 hours or so later, they got to do like a regular endurance training. So they're still getting some running in, but they're rotating it with kettlebell swings, fucking row machines, stuff like that in an educated way to keep the impact low. So if they do a high-impact cardiovascular drill, then 36 hours later it has to be low-impact, and it has to be a different intensity or heart rate. That way they're fit whether they have to sprint or they have to walk for five miles. You know, Matt. you got to remember you're dealing with guys walking up and down in the mountains all all day. Right. So it's not like they're not, they're not, they can't be in vehicles because they can be seen. Mm -hmm. So they're actually trooping around, you know, they're actually, you know, hiking their asses with, with uh, night vision gear and all that type of shit in the in the trenches, waiting and watching and chasing people that are coming across the border with, you know, pounds and pounds of illegal drugs. Right. You know, so, man. The uh, it's funny to look at the the parallel, uh, even in sports. I mean, when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, everything was constant cardio, like run, lap, steady state. And, yep. and, you know, and you know as well as I do, right, you've got your master's in biomechanics. Slowly, like maybe yep. late 90s, early 2000s, you started to see strength creep in, even to academic exercise science programs, you know. Because yep. uh, well, I was the well, only yeah, lifter you know, ever, you yeah. know, in the early 90s. And then you, yeah. all of a sudden you start to see the strength. And it, to me, it almost blows my mind that, you know, you're breaking these traditions in the military. It's the same thing I saw in academics. It's this sure. idea that uh, – when you're strong as hell, everything you do in life is so submaximal, it's a joke. So you don't get hurt, yep. you know? They don't, but they don't understand that until they, get, they actually get better. When they start saying, how can you make me better at sprinting and doing all this if I'm not doing it? And then you show it to them and you prove mm -hmm. it to them, yeah, yeah. you don't have to prove it anymore. But the yeah. big thing of it is, is that, you, you know, you don't want to overemphasize cardiovascular training because eventually you're going to trade off being fit for being strong and you want that balance of in between where you can do whatever you need to do and you might be tired as fuck through the day but if you get into an altercation with somebody you're strong enough to overpower them and right yeah. or you're strong enough to walk up a mountain with a hundred pounds of gear on and that's the thing is that running and that shit just doesn't do it anymore mm -hmm. but the reason that the army does that is because it's easy if they're lazy and it's easy to 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 you know govern and it's easy to test. They can say, well, we got data for 50 years saying what we, what we think is fit. You come in with all this new stuff. How do we know what guy is fit and what guy is unfit? Because we don't have any history behind these tests. Mm -hmm. That's where I run into a lot of issues. And, you know, it's just like, well, you know, I'd rather have you guys base the shit off the NFL combine than what mm -hmm. you're doing. I have, I have, you know, my own thoughts on that. But mm -hmm. I still think it's a better test than what they're testing, yeah. you know. So the funny part is the best soldiers I've ever seen, and most of them were obviously in Ranger Division, but I had a few of them in infantry that just slipped through the cracks by, by who knows why. Um, 
were the strongest and the fittest. They weren't the fittest and they weren't the strongest. They were both. Mm-hmm. I had I had a dude that was a sniper in third battalion Rangers that weighed 185 pounds. He could deadlift 600. He could squat 565. He could bench 425, and he ran an 18-minute three-mile. That was that was the baddest fucking dude I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he could do anything I told him to do, and he could do it as as good as you thought or humanly possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's very few guys walking around that weigh 180 taking just deadlift six, you know, 600, mm-hmm. and, and 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 be able to run like that too. But what's funny is is that I've ran into guys too on the other side that have been pretty strong. But the problem, is, and they haven't been able to run or do the conditioning, but it's pretty rare because, you know, to be a great soldier, you need to be about five foot eight to six foot tops, and to be able to do that kind of power, powerful conditioning, you, you can't weigh more than two hundred. Mm-hmm. So the guys that I run into that are two thirty five and two forty that are super strong in the army, they can't run, they can't mm-hmm. do any agility. You know what I mean? So it's it's. I think people look at those guys and well, he's a strong guy, but he's big and bulky, he can't move. I'm like, that's only a part, a portion of the equation. The guy's just a shitty athlete. I mean, you know, it's not that he's, you know, it's not how he trains, you know. People tend to go to what they like. And if you're getting a bunch of guys that are super skinny and they feel weak, they're not going to be in the gym, you know. They're going to go and do something they feel like they can do forever, which is like run, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. (sighs) No, that's, I mean. Yeah, we're working on changing that stuff. It just takes time. You know, the Army's always 20 years behind, like you were getting into. You saw that in the academic world. Well, you know, the United States academic world and exercise science started in aerobic training. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. That's where the interest was for the PhDs back in the 60s and the 70s. They were interested in prefontaine. They were interested in swimmers and cyclists, you know, and that came a lot from Ball State right with the school. If you look up any exercise book, you're going to find a name, Dr. Costell, Dr. David Costell, and his love and passion was in aerobic sports, but he was also a strength guy and studied a lot with swimmers and runners. And uh, but he got huge contracts to study those things in the '60s and '70s. That's why Ball State had a very prestigious name in exercise science when I went there, and probably still does, is because of the work that Dr. Costell did. But my point being to all that is that there wasn't money in that shit in the '60s mm-hmm. and '70s. So the professors that studied it studied what they liked. Yep. And the Soviets, the reason the Soviets had so much data on exercise physiology and strength concern was because they were smarter than us by thinking on this term that there are more gold medals to be won in anaerobic sports or power sports than there are endurance sports. Mm -hmm. So if we have every weight class in weightlifting and every weight class in wrestling, every weight class in gymnastics and, you know, whatever you want, every, you know, gender class in gymnastics, if we have all that stuff straightened out, we win and we have gold medals for powerful to the rest of the world mm-hmm. because they love strength sports. It was because they realized that it was a numbers game. There were more anaerobic sports in the, you know, in the United in the, in the Olympics than there were aerobic. So they put all their money and their time and their, and their efforts into studying the, the weight and the, the power and the jumping and the throwing, you know, so that's my theory on how that happened. And I got that theory actually from, uh, um, I'm sure you guys have all heard of Berkashansky. Berkashansky, mm-hmm. um, I actually was lucky enough to talk to him through his, or before he died. Um, I would post some stuff on the West Side's website. I used to run West Side's uh, website stuff. And uh, 
as far as answer all their emails. And I had just put out a couple of articles that went on the internet and Rukashansky had somehow found him and had his daughter translate him and was interested in the type of conjugate training that Westside was using. So we had some collaborations back and forth and I got to ask him some of those questions and he said that's how he saw it develop in the 50s and 60s was he was a, he was a track coach mm-hmm. and uh, he said you know the, the Soviet the Soviet letter you know whatever you want to call it uh, what they're going to prescribe as important was based on how many gold medals they can win so that's how it kind of got started and uh, and why they you know they went that way Let's uh, a hypothetical. I mean, I know what I've done. I've dealt with some kids going into basic and things like that. And you yeah. know, my biggest thing helping them has been, you know, the army as it sits today, they're going to yep. make you run well, <laughs> no matter yeah. what shape you go in. <laughs> yeah. As. So I mean, my big deal is, yeah, we run a little <laughs> bit, but you know, I try to take the the four months, six months, whatever it is before they go in, and let's just get you strong. You know, and then for God's sakes, do what you can while they're they're running your ass off hours on hours on end to keep you strong. I mean, would you say that? I mean, would that be something you do with somebody like that? That's 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 an exact replica of what I do. Um, And what I do is I build a massive amount of strength as much as I can. I try to find every weak point structurally that I can that I can address and make it as strong as I can. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, and I know it only takes eight weeks to get somebody in shape. Mm-hmm. So if I want to get that guy better in shape at running, I can take eight weeks and start working on that. Mm-hmm. But if he's already got a good strength base, I don't have to worry about the the you know the stress fractures or the the joint issues because he's already strong. Yeah. So now I can start to practice a little bit of overreaching on the running, and uh, you know eight weeks before they leave for basics or for I get a lot of guys for selection for either special forces or ranger mm-hmm. division, but they just they're just baffled by the fact that how far they can get without running. And then they go there and they smash everybody in the tests mm-hmm. because they're so much stronger that everything's submaximal. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the guys that focus on the cardio, everything's maximal to them because they're weak as shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> good stuff. Yeah. That was a good show. Thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll call it there. Yeah. And, not a uh, problem, man. No problem at all. We'll have it up here soon and I'll tag you in it and everything like that. So we can pass it around. Yeah, badass, man. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Yep. See ya. See you later. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention, Uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. 
And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each haul of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.